fall kickoff is coming up, and Sermon on the Mount series is uh, about to begin. And this is perfect timing to invite and to become more outward focused about those people who do not know Christ. And then my angle for this is this. Um, There are so many people who do not believe in Christ. But there's a very small percentage of them really even understand what the gospel is, what true Christianity is all about. The sad and unfortunate things. Because of the evil one and his lies, many of them misunderstand what true Christianity is all about. And the central teaching of Jesus in Sermon on the Mount really shows that true Christianity, the heart of Christianity, what it means to follow Christ and what it means to belong to the kingdom of God. So would you be mindful? I know Adrian sent out little e-flyer, e-invite, and you could use that. Um, But as for us, this coming two Sundays, next Sunday will be introduction to the series to the Sermon on the Mount. And the following Sunday will be the first Beatitude. You don't want to miss two messages. Even if you cannot be here personally, physically, and at some point some of you might be serving in Crossway uh, Kids, the children's ministry, Um, be sure to listen to those two messages, so which will be the, the foundation of understanding the entire Sermon on the Mount. Today is the part two of spiritual disciplines as means of grace. And I, I'm uh, excited to share what God has placed in my heart. And I, I'm praying in my heart right now that Holy Spirit will prompt us to gear up as the fall begins, a new season, the school season begins, that we would hunger for God in a very tangible way through the spiritual disciplines. Some of you are not here, so I'm not replacing the first message that I did. So be sure to listen to that part one message. But this is a, just to recap really quickly for those of you uh, who weren't there on that Sunday two weeks ago, really need to listen to it uh, online first. But here are four things. Why do we need spiritual disciplines as Christ followers? Number one, it is because true Christian life requires us to take Jesus' easy yoke by entering into a holistic life of discipleship to Jesus as his apprentice. If we don't enter into the holistic life, and just partially, the yoke becomes very heavy, burdensome. But if we embrace Jesus as our teacher, as our master, and every day we follow his way of life, his preparation, his training, as well as his ministry, we will find easy yoke. 
And obviously, that implication is that Jesus' training involved the disciplines of the spiritual life. Number two reason, it is because Christian life is not a rowboat or motorboat, but a sailboat, which means living by grace of God. Uh, This living by grace isn't really about self-effort. The rowboat, it's it's up to all of us, with our power, with our effort, and it becomes always frustrating uh, failures or the prideful, arrogant legalism. Or on the other hand, I think our culture is more familiar. Temptation is on this, a motorboat. Living by grace means that everything's free, so I get on the boat, and somehow things has to happen automatically. That there is no active obedience, no, there's no sense of disciplines, but enjoying Christian life the way it kind of where the water uh, wave goes. And that is the reason why it doesn't matter how long you've been going to church and being a Christian, but 10, 20 years without much transformation. Third reason, it is because Christian life requires not trying, but training for the purpose of godliness. No one will dare to try to run a marathon, even if you're a well-fit person, without no preparation, no training whatsoever. I'm going to just try to run a marathon. Or one of those crazy uh, Iron Man kind of event. Uh, it will be very harmful for us. But if we train regularly, it becomes a very... Uh, doable thing, and not only doable thing, but it is a very joyful thing. So mo- many of those athletes, or even the very amateurish people who get into this half marathon and marathon, we have a bunch of people in our church as well that becomes uh, hooked, and they have a runner's high. Our Christian life is like that too. 1 Timothy 4, 7, train yourself for godliness. And lastly, it is because the vision and goal of the Christian life is Christ-likeness. We have fallen from what God had designed in His image. And God sent His Son to redeem us and to transform and reform us back to his image, the image of his son. The Christ is our example, and the likeness of image of Christ, Christ is our goal. In order for us to do that, we need to take this simple spiritual disciplines as a means of grace. Not the end, but means of grace. So let me kind of draw a big picture of what 
the spiritual disciplines. The reason why I call it a classical spiritual disciplines, uh, the, these spiritual disciplines are rooted in history of Christian church. So the, hence the word classical. So which means that um, many of us learn to journal. And that's been really helpful tool for our spiritual life. It is a new spiritual disciplines. And it, classical uh, disciplines might not be in there. But those are, these are the, the starting point for us to really think about, okay, what other spiritual disciplines that fit my need and I could continually train myself for the purpose of godliness. Two quotes, one from Richard Foster and the other from Dallas Willard. A general understanding of what dis- disciplines of the Christian life is, spiritual life is. Richard Foster said, God has given us the disciplines of the spiritual life as a means of receiving his grace. The disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so that he can transform us. They are God's means of grace. Last time, at the part one, I talked about Romans 12, verse 1. By the mercies of God, brothers, to present your bodies, I urge you, Apostle Paul says, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The living sacrifice is different from the death sacrifice of the Old Testament. Because if this is altar, and if you kill a lamb and give it, offered to, the, to God, that it will not come down. But if I myself give, offer God my entire body, my whole being, as a living sacrifice, it's up to me. I could easily become stubborn, insisting my ways, and come down. But if I want God's grace, God's transforming work to work on us, the spiritual disciplines gives us ways, venues, and means to receive God's grace. He will work on us. Dallas Willard talked about a discipline is any activity within our power that we engage in, in, in to enable us to do what we cannot do by direct effort. This is the indirection idea. Many of us have a noble idea. I'm not going to be angry anymore. I'm not going to be prideful anymore. I'm not going to talk behind people's back anymore. I'm going to clean my language. Those direct efforts always fail, come short, especially when we are not prepared and ready. Sometimes, sometimes in, in our argument with our spouses, we could really gear up emotionally. At that moment, we, it, looks, it almost looks like a, we are under control. But those Sinful desires, the fleshly desires, it started with 
within us doesn't go anywhere. We need to deal with those things from inside out. The spiritual disciplines actually indirect way of training ourselves so that this indirection and habitual things, repetition of practices, can actually deal with the things that we cannot deal with, change ourselves by direct effort. There are so many different kinds of uh, categories of spiritual discipline. Richard Foster said inward disciplines and outward disciplines and corporate disciplines, which were helpful from the celebration of discipline. But I think the simpler way of looking at it by Dallas Willers, it's the spirit of discipline, categorizing just to two areas. So if you read the if you read the Bible, there is always the two concepts. Put off the old self and put on the new self. If you just put off only and don't put on the new self, you can't really sustain that uh, life of godliness. If you try to put on without putting off, that will not work either. So the idea of a dis- disciplines of abstinence is the idea that we detach, put off. What are those? Solitude. So the question about solitude is, what do I do with solitude? So think about this way. It, it is a discipline of abstinence. What not to do is actually central practice. We refrain ourselves, abstain ourselves, social interactions, any kind of distractions, to be alone, to face our nothingness, actually, in a sense, before God, so that we could actually pay attention to God without distraction. But much of that uh, discipline is about what not to do. The simple advice that we could give to ourselves in, in solitude especially the extended period of time of solitude, being alone with God, do nothing. Focus on God and do nothing. Silence is the same way. The silence is abstaining from speaking and noises and distractions and... um, Internet, Facebook, cell phone, texting, all those. But when you quiet down externally, there's a next level of silence. Our heart is filled with noises. So the solitude and silence, no wonder they go together. Without solitude... There is no silence. Without silence, there is no solitude. Fasting is abstaining from food, which is an essential thing to live by. So it could be non-food item that feels like essential. Many, Many men would choose to fast from ESPN 
or all kinds of sports multimedia thing, which feels like uh, if I don't get that daily, I need to get my fix. And when, when that pain is real, it is a declaration of, God, I depend on you. I utterly depend on you. So once again, fasting is abstinence, the discipline of abstinence, which means that by fasting, we realize the true hunger, true dependent, dependence we have for, for God. So fasting always comes with, goes with um, prayer, purpose of prayer. The next item is frugality and simplistic. The way that you look at it, the external things, uh, spending only the things that are necessary so that you could feel God's provision in your life and the simplified heart condition in that. Uh, Richard Foster said, uh, simplicity is internal state controlled by God which result in out, uh, outward life. So when I understood this, this was a tremendous help. Now, I'm one of those guys, a very practical, pragmatic guy. I've been reading so many different kinds of, you know, management books and time management books and different kind of things. And then frantically for decades, I was trying to draw pie and divide so I could balance my life. I, I've been doing too many things on, on, the, uh, and on the work and ministry, too little on family. I need to expand this so that you cannot do that. You know why? Because the fluctuation of life's urgency and needs, is, it's impossible for to control that. But, what happens when we continually practice surrendering to Christ, surrendering God? Our life is become our life becomes simplified as a as a result of surrendering to God. The next one is a chastity. Willard calls it, and I, I actually purity might be more straightforward word for us. The impure thoughts and lustful things and it just starts obviously about sexual related things but it's more than sexual only. Any kind of lust or materialism we continue to clear our, our mind to think things on the things above not just on, on earthly things. Next one is secrecy. Secrecy is what Jesus will deal with in the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm going to just leave it at the suspense a little bit. And sacrifice is obviously much more than just becoming really aware of my own sacrifice, which means the more you sacrifice yourself, the more entitled you are. But this discipline, you become self-forgetful. You don't see yourself. Hence the freedom from the self. On the other side, there's a spirit disciplines of engagement. This engagement is you interact 
you actively go out to engage. And that's probably the most uh, clear difference of Christian meditation from the Eastern meditation. Eastern meditation, including yoga or other things that New Age things is emptying yourself and not to think about anything. You go into nirvana, nothingness. Christian meditation is you take the word and think it over and over. Like the cows have several stomachs and you chew on it and you put it in one stomach and then regurgitate a few hours later, you chew on it again. So throughout the day, you continually meditate on that. And study is more intentional, analytical reading and understanding, including memorization as well. As well. Worship is uh, not only corporate, but personal worship as well. And celebration is intentional, giving thanks to God and rejoicing. And this is something that uh, I've been prompted by, by the Holy Spirit to practice more. And service, Richard Foster says, says many little deaths to go beyond ourselves, a selfish desire. Isn't that great? By serving, you experience dying to self, and those are many little deaths, and you become free from the self. And prayer, and all the, the spiritual writers agree that it's essential to all spiritual disciplines. It becomes, it becomes the, the, the pathway to interacting with God, inviting God. And you could pray, and not only in prayer meeting, but in your bedroom while you're driving. Just don't close your eyes. And fellowship is utterly important because we are um, brothers and sisters and our social needs, uh, we are encouraged and supported and challenged by uh, fellowship. And confession is also something that we neglect in modern-day Christians because in the name of privacy, but we are to confess our sins and burdens to one another. The men's and women's group, designed for that in our in our church so we used to think we used to say and I, I used to get in trouble but some people didn't like what I said during the men's group early first and two second years let's bring something that we can never share anywhere else but here but our our, our society categorized those things you go to a counselor therapist to do that, and you go to recovery group, 12-step groups to do that, and the Christian groups, you share only on the surface things. I agree with Larry Crabb, who said, if the Christian community, spiritual community functions as it's supposed to function in the New Testament, majority of, much of Therapy and therapy, therapeutical needs will not be necessary. 
Of course, you know, obviously there are needs, and we want to encourage the people to seek counseling uh, personally and marital counseling as well. But what I'm talking about is the really living life together, the confession is necessary. Submission is a dirty word for our, our culture. But when we submit to one another, we actually experience God's authority becoming much more welcoming in our hearts. I, I, I used to ignore this because I'm such an independent person. But now I'm convinced, along with my spiritual mentors, Show me a person who cannot submit to his or her authorities, starting with parents. And I'll show you a person who have a problem with God. Because you become selective in God. So this is a good way to understand and practice that. There are so many, isn't it? But today we're going to actually focus on one. Only solitude. But this solitude is, think about this, there's a daily solitude, there's a monthly solitude. The daily solitude will be very, the rhythmic baby steps, almost uh, usually for typical starting person, it will be 15, 20 minutes spending time alone with God. But monthly, uh, my wife and I usually do this giving each other one entire night. You don't have a business and you don't have a meeting with others, but take the, this night. Go three, four hours. You go to Barnes & Nobles or a, your favorite coffee shop. Hang out. Hang out with God. And, and the quarterly, we have a solitude and silence day. We set aside half day on solid Saturday. The next month, it's coming up. We practice that spiritual discipline together. And <clears throat> as I'm speaking this on this, because of summer, we went through a very intense sermon series, and uh, um, I shared with our elders to hold me accountable within this month or next. I'll find at least three days to go on a personal retreat. And then rightly so, one of the brothers said, uh, you should plan it ahead uh, year-round. So otherwise, it's a noble thinking. So I feel bad for my wife, four kids. We have three, three schools and four different ending time. Think, think about those pickup. We, we can't be sick. We can't say, I don't want to pick them up anymore. Like, right? But what really comes first? The reason why meditation and study and prayer comes in are daily solitude with God, also known as devotional time or quiet time, is probably the basic thing that we want to encourage all of you. So we want to talk about just a little bit on that. But let's go to the Biblical text first. Um, today's passage, Mark chapter 1, verse 21 through 
39. I was tempted to just quickly uh, say what happened on that day. I think you need to see it yourself. What's sometimes the biggest compromise, or actually excuse, starting with me? Why I haven't spent time with God alone? Oh, it's been really crazy. All these kids' activities and, and uh, work has been crazy. So a busy, hectic day. So compare our days to Jesus' day. What kind of Jesus' day he had. And we could follow his, his example, knowing fully. Starting with verse one, 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as the one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit and cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obeyed him. They obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. This is all one day. His day is not over yet. Verse 29 And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Then Simon and Andrew, Simon, Peter, and Andrew. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. And she began to serve him. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick, or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. The whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Mark 135 is a very famous verse, but we usually skip all this and go to that. But with what happened in mind, this is what Jesus did on the next day. Verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched 
for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. The first question, what are three things that Jesus did to make space for solitude? Number one, it is an intentional discipline. Not wishful thinking. Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark. His decision for the solitude, so let's say he's like 3.30, 3.45, close to 4 o'clock. Is he thinking about, should I get up, should I not? Should I get up, should I not? <laughs> His decision was already made prior to this early morning. Can Could he have... Excuse himself, oh, I had a long day yesterday. So I am entitled to sleep in today. Listen to this. His discipline came out of not dutifulness, but stronger yes. What was his stronger passionate yes? We'll find out just in a minute. Second thing that he did to make space for solitude is a deliberate withdrawal. So his disciples are probably sleeping nearby him. There's a sense of a secrecy also to departing. And to went out, he went out to a desolate place. Withdrawal from what? It's from the noise of the day, the pressing activities, and urgent and important things. Things that are pressing on us. Withdraw from all that. He withdrew, Jesus withdrew from the compulsions of the world and self. And look, Luke 5, 16 tells us that he did this habitually. Very often, Jesus withdrew to a desolate place and prayed. This wasn't an event. This was his rhythm, habit. Three, it is a desire for secret communion. There, he prayed. A part of the, the secrecy is so important because it changed the dynamic of what spiritual discipline is. And it damages it. It is most harmful when secrecy is not practiced in our spiritual disciplines. But more so, the secrecy was needed because, because it's a personal communion with God. And I, I, um, I want to encourage all of us and even challenge us 
And I face this all the time in my own life also too. To think of our daily solitude as some kind of a homework to do, especially if we do have to email our sharing. And in our language, we still use that quite a bit, right? I did my quiet time this morning. But if it's secret personal communion, it is a relational time. We should really change the language also too. I spent time alone with God. I had my time alone with God. I had my quiet time. I will have my quiet time with God. I want to get away. I want to hang out with God. However the language is. But Jesus Focus and passion was on that. So encouraging thing is we saw also three things. We see also three things that Jesus benefited from this solitude with God. Verse 36 to 39. The first one is a clear direction. Just imagine this. His fame is at the highest And all these people, Jesus is a rock star, looking for him. ESV used the word searched, and Ivy will call it a, I think NASB is a hunt him down to find him. When you are that much needed, everyone is looking for you. Can you say, no, actually direction we're going is this. Not back there. So this is why Jesus' life was not directionless and, and manipulated by people's need, even if those are true needs. And as a Christ follower, don't we all need that clarity of direction that we, we, instead of being confused? One of the clear benefits is from the solitude is clear direction. Second, it's a firm conviction. Conviction on his mission, his purpose. This is why I came. He was not wavered by popularity and people's need. He wasn't focused on his purpose. As a Christ follower, and as moms and dads, uh, full-time workers, professionals, do we know our mission? Do we know our purpose? Can we distinguish from origin and important things but really, truly important things that may not be so urgent that we would choose that. See, the enemy of the best thing is not the bad things. The enemy of the best thing are the good things. We need to have this conviction in our heart 
And would you pray for me? The way that I experienced paradigm shift was life-changing for me. And then it changed forever the way do I ministry. And some people, some of my friends were saying, pastor friends are saying, oh, because it's, your church is still small. My conviction is, the foundation, if I follow Jesus as an each yoke, the way that I lead my life and ministry will not be complicated. If I am not able to handle that, my vessel is small, God will provide small things. I am fine with that. I'm going to receive that. But even as our church is growing, much of concern, the people were saying, when they're asking me about something, right? Oh, Pastor Paul, I know you're really busy, but I'm not that busy at all. I'm telling you. Because I choose to do things from this point on that my purpose and mission is clear. What do you do usually? I sit on the Word all week long. In my previous ministry, at the last minute, a little bit of that, I used to do that. And all these things, I've been running around, meeting people, making things happen, networking, and going to conferences. I don't actually do all of that now. Because I do have firm convictions whenever I get together with God, especially extended period of solitude and silence. Number three is a supernatural power. Remember Jesus go to different uh, cities and preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. We tend to write off. Jesus is God, so he's not like me. But the way that he lived life as a human, he's a full human, as well as full God, perfect God. His communion with the Father was a source of that divine power, supernatural power. Which means in everyday life, as Christ follower, there is reservoir. God, limitless reservoir, to, to whom I could, we could go. And in our solitude, we could draw his strength and draw his peace, draw his confidence from him. Otherwise, what we end up doing is we're trying to fix, we're trying to manipulate, we're trying to pull the right strings of relationships. Oh, I've done that so many times. We become forgetful as well. So in terms of right approach to solitude, let me just quickly summarize some of the things that I've learned over the years. Number one, solitude is not merely being alone, but being alone with God. This is why whenever we get together with God, even if it's a small 15, 20 minutes of quiet time, we ought to pay attention. I I tell my kids, too, in this way. You could literally imagine that Jesus is sitting in front of you. That is not unbiblical to think that. 
Because it's not homework time, guys. And then Soren, I'm encouraged to see that Soren goes out in the backyard. And him spending time with God is just joy to me. Well, how many times we thought about solitude as something that was self-improvement or some kind of spending endured this hard time? No, we are spending time with God. You could be a hermit for several years and never experience biblical solitude because you spend time with yourself, not with God. And obviously, this is hence the reason why that without solitude, silence, there is no solitude. And silence sometimes involves the absence of speech. The absence of speech doesn't mean just a physical thing. It is the heart attitude of listening. Lord, what do you desire to see in, my, in me? Lord, what do you desire to see in me through this passage? Or when you are going on a solitary silence day, my heart is blank sheet. I don't have any plans that you need to approve. Speak to me as a blank page. Anything, would you do, what would you desire to see in me? The incredible things happen. Like Trinity mentioned, God will impress on the things. Then you try to push it away. It will come back and back. So, don't use this as a manipulation, but a really honest encouragement and support with your spouse. When I, when I have the growing things that I, in my you know, relationship with Kate, um, the wisdom that I learn is, I honestly encourage her. Tonight, you could take the whole night. Just go. Spend time with God. She comes back, obviously much more relaxed and you know, rested. But I could not have better, I could not have done better job. So what did God say? And she's telling me all this, like I'm trying not to smile too much. Second thing, solitude is not a therapeutic place of privacy, but a furnace of transformation. And obviously, the, many of you who read The Way of Heart, the first chapter by Henry Nouwen, the concept is so clear. We, we uh, provide that article every time. And solitude is not a privacy or the little corner or pit stop, you know, the race cars go to the pit stop for one, on, one, one and only reason to go faster again. Actually, biblical solitude is that we come in facing the comp- compulsion of ourselves before God and let God transform us. The compulsion of self is this, usually. I'd like to kind of, whenever I talk to some people, the, my being pastor means a lot of what I 
my identity. And uh, I've done this, this kind of work, right? Maybe on which I could think about my spirituality. When I sit with God alone, without distraction, the reason I'm fearful is there is a nothingness in me. I, I can't really brag anything. I can't even use any title or what I've done before God. God is so holy. God is so great. And I face only own my own nothingness. And if I endure enough, once again, because it's a discipline of abstinence, I begin to experience God's grace. And actually, instead of my own self-condemnation, God's grace and love comes. As well as his light on me. He shows that what he desires to see in me. Henny Nouwen, from that book that I mentioned, The Way of the Heart, writes this. It is this nothingness that I have to face in my solitude. A nothingness so dreadful that everything in me wants to run to my friends, my work, and my distractions so that I can forget my nothingness and make myself believe that I'm worth something. The task is to persevere in my solitude, to stay in my cell until all my seductive visitors get tired of pounding on my door and leave me alone. The the, the wisdom of the desert is that the confrontation with our own frightening nothingness forces us to surrender ourselves totally and unconditionally to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, next month when we are doing solitude and silence, if you know by the end of that the benefit that will come as you surrender through this practice, God's grace comes. And there's nothing like it. You get energized so much as a child of God. The invitation is to you, Jesus said, come all you are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Third and last lesson about solitude and right approach is solitude is not the lasting ending point, but the first starting point. What do I mean by that? I, I thought, you probably hear this language all the time also too, especially among the full-time pastors. And You know, unless you have soul care and solitude, you're going to burn out. So take care of yourself. Spend time with God. This is all defensive. Passive, you know, like, and by the end of you do all your work and you become busy. And not, not only the pastors also too, but but also as a as a mom and dad and and as your profession, professional Christian worker in your work field, you do all those things and serving at church, and then ending point is, 
I need to rest. I need to get refueled from God. This is not a biblical solitude. It was mind-boggling for me to think that even Jesus' life, how did his ministry begin? He didn't start with ministry. He became, he, he withdrew himself to a desert for 40 days of solitude. That was the beginning point, the birthing point of his ministry. So he moved from solitude to community with disciples, his 12 disciples, and to ministry. What we do usually is work, ministry, service, and then go to people a little bit and go get, you know, compliments and uh, comfort and, you know, say something nice to me, recognize me. And then when we get tired, we go to God. This is not the way of an easy yoke. Brothers and sisters, Sabbath is the first day of week, not Monday. This is the Western thoughts, right? Rest in God, finding our identity in God, sourcing from God, and strength from God. Mission from God is the first and beginning point. Every day we should start with the beginning point of solitude with God. And as I mentioned, we need to be arrange our life around the space and be rhythmic daily, monthly, and quarterly. I'm going to sum, sum up with this um, five practical tips when it comes to daily solitude, also known as quiet time or devotional time. Begin with a vision for your intimate relationship with God, meaning that let's not do homework. Let's think about our relationship. And we do that with our you know, husbands and wives too, right? You know, Kate and I had a conflict this past week. So first thing that we thought about is, I thought about is, I want to have <laughs> not only peaceful but intimate relationship with my wife. So first thing that I thought about is, because of the vision, we've got to spend time together. All these summer things, we usually have a lunch date every week, every Friday. First time back this Friday. That helps me to say yes to those things, to initiate that. What do you envision about your relationship with God? Okay, my relationship with God will be boring. My relationship will be full of guilt, burden. I barely, barely drag myself into church and go to home group. And I, I, they tell me I have to go to men's group too. They tell me I have to go to women's group too. Envision this. Eugene Peterson writes his vision. I want to cultivate my relationship with God. I want all of, my, all of life to be intimate, sometimes consciously, sometimes unconsciously, with the God who made, directs, and loves me. I don't want to live as a parasite on the first hand of spiritual life of others, but to be personally involved with all my senses, tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Usually for that to happen, 
there must be a deliberate withdrawal from the noise of the day and a disciplined detachment from the insatiable self. If this resonates your heart, spend time on envisioning your life with God more. And then we could move on to step number two. Think 4D. Any kind of spiritual disciplines need a 4D. First one, we need to think about desire. Do I really want to spend time with God? If you don't, you uh, go to the literature like, you know, other things. Um, and the brothers and sisters, just share. Share that. And... And then if you listen to the truth in the innermost being, which is not your feelings, how I feel is not the truth, because feelings change all the time. What is really, really what you want? I want to be intimate with God, but I lack motivation right now. Whatever the reason is. But you need to hold on to that truth. And decision no matter how wishful thinking you might have, and without this, nothing happens. Determination is to face some things that you need to sacrifice. A lot of times, um, I mentioned this, and I, some of you think that I'm, it's natural for me to get up early. No, I, I was a night owl for my younger days, and it was awfully difficult for me to go to sleep early. Because of my spiritual mentor, I start waking up in the morning, and then I realize it all depends on the disciplining my body to go to sleep early. So by 9.30 and 10, I, I fall asleep, I get sleepy now. Without effort, I wake up my... I open my eyes around 5 in the morning. What kind of determination do you need to have? You need to think about that. And then finally, discipline. It doesn't happen. You need to practice. You continually practice, which calls a, a discipline. And the number three tip, there's a four-fold plan is needed. Number one, time. Number two, place. Reading schedule. I would strongly encourage you to use the crossway quiet time list. Number four, starting date. Actually, in, the, in, the, in closing, I'm going to have that time for us. And then fourth uh, tip is important. Go into training mode in the first two weeks, when the rocket, rocket is launched, the most energy is needed at the beginning point, starting launching point, right? If you start any kind of spiritual discipline, first two weeks, you're going to need a tremendous energy. And gear up. You gear up with your brother, your sisters, in your men's group, and let's do this together. And we do that in, for fitness as well, right? So if you're training for marathon or half marathon, 
first two weeks, you go into the training mode and becomes rhythmic from that. Usually the wishful thinking is this. We go to sleep and somehow it will help you know, happen. First two weeks, you need tremendous energy. Finally, share your quiet time applications with few others. Let's pray. I want to take just a, a minute or so to have you think about tomorrow. And this helped me tremendously even in the past. So if you think if you want to plan the four things ahead, so many different things, it will be another obstacle. So tomorrow. Do I want to spend time with God tomorrow? If desires yes, let's make the decision. What time will that be? Just tomorrow. You don't have to think about Tuesday, Wednesday. And during the time that you meet with God tomorrow, with a new, fresh desire and passion and zeal, and you could talk to God about getting into rhythm. Father, thank you for your urge and your Holy Spirit's prompting this morning. And as we decide, each person uh, decides the time with you tomorrow. I pray that your Holy Spirit will guide, guide us, protect us, and help us to gear up, really have meaningful relational time tomorrow because we do desire to be intimate with you and tomorrow just one day of time may not create that but we do know we want to continually cultivate that so help us to raise our sail as we sense the wind of the spirit We pray all these things in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.